When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, April 15th, the Toddler Ponzi Schemes edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer at Slate. I'm the author of the book, How to Be a Family. And I'm the dad to Lyra, who's 15, and Harper, who's 13. We live in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and co-host of Slate's Wild and Wise chat show, and mom to Naima, who is eight, and we live in Los Angeles, California. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's nine, Oliver, who's six, and Teddy, who's four, and we live in Navarre, Florida. On today's show, we've got a question from a mom whose son received one of those send stickers to six people chain letters. What should a parent do to keep your kid from being embroiled in some kind of toddler sticker Bernie Madoff situation? Then the CDC says that black women over 30 are more than four times as likely to suffer pregnancy related mortality than white women. On Tuesday, President Biden proclaimed that this week is Black Maternal Health Week. So Jamila is talking with Rose Aka James from the Black Mamas Matter Alliance about the racial disparities that black mothers face during pregnancy and childbirth. And on Slate Plus, well, Schoolhouse Rock is still alive and well on Disney Plus, but might be getting a little bit dated. So we're going to pitch some topics that aren't Schoolhouse Rock songs yet, but really deserve to be. But let's start this week with a dilemma. Elizabeth, you have a dilemma and you need us to weigh in. Take it away. I do. Okay. So as you know, we are moving to Colorado Springs. And with that move comes a change of like our whole life. And I've always said that every time we move, I'm going to evaluate our school situation based on kind of each child and the place where we are and all of that. So I'm looking at homeschool academies for the two oldest and Teddy is going to preschool like he needs to not be at home every day. So I've found a lovely preschool for him that he's been accepted into. It is not close to the house. It is like 25 minutes from the home we're going to be in. I have found two homeschool academies that would be perfect for Henry and Oliver. They're different. They meet on different days. They are also like 20 minutes to 25 minutes away from the house in different directions. There is a school that has a homeschool academy or like full-time school walking distance from our home. So the dilemma is... Like, how in a pandemic do I decide, like, do I send these kids to the perfect situation for them? It's one day a week. What's a big deal? But we're driving like all around or like I'm assuming that we'll be able to go to these things that like the pandemic's at a place where we can go. But I can't go see them to evaluate like, well, what is the difference between sending them to what I think are these ideal schools, which is like this forest school for Henry and this like art school for Oliver Or do I just like do the thing that makes the most convenient sense and say like everyone's going to the school that's right back there? Or do I like send Oliver to one? Like, do I choose one kid to get to go do the best thing? I'm like completely at a loss for at what point do I choose convenience or do I choose the best choice for each of them as individuals? 
Can, okay, so let me follow up on this question with a yes. question. In any case, no matter what you decide, for the two older boys, this will be happening once a week. Yes. This year, okay. I'm not sending anyone to full-time school. Okay. This is the easiest question anyone has ever asked me. <laughs> I think we have the you same just, opinion. <laughs> you send your kids to the school that they can walk to, which is totally fine and is only one day a week. So, like, what is the worst that could happen? It's that maybe they kind of like it 80% as much as the other one one day a week. And the best that can happen is that you are not in your car for like an hour and 45 fucking minutes in Colorado Springs traffic every Tuesday. That sounds like a nightmare. I feel certain that if this neighborhood school in what I'm sure is the most adorable neighborhood imaginable in Colorado Springs is good enough for you to even consider sending your kids there, it's totally great for them to go to for a day each week. They'll enjoy it. They'll enjoy walking there. They'll enjoy meeting kids from their neighborhood. And you will enjoy not sitting in the fucking car. That <laughs> is my answer. Strong cosign. Oh, really? <laughs> I, okay, the only asterisk, if one child can be plucked off this island, if you believe that going out of your way and taking one of the three children somewhere a little bit further away would absolutely make a tremendous difference for that child, then I would suggest doing it with one, but not all three of them. But how so do you, you should just how pick, how pick which pick one you which like one? the best? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's which one. Yeah, you well. who's your favorite yeah. kid? <laughs> yeah, it depends. On I mean, the but day. you're already sending one kid far. You're already driving 25 minutes each way. I could just send him somewhere local too. I just, yeah, this is true. like, I, I, I would encourage that. Well, the, yeah, I know it's just hard <laughs> because I may never get an opportunity to be somewhere in which we get into schools or that we get these other opportunities only because we move so frequently. Right. So right. like we, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like there is a great school <laughs> walking distance. And of course that's Jeff's opinion. It's just like, push them out the door. Um, once a week, this is great. Um, but I also feel like, am I passing up this opportunity for, like, Henry to do this forest school thing, which is only available, like, to fourth graders? Am I passing up, you know, this opportunity? Like, do I say, like, okay, well, Henry, you can do the forest school. And then in two years, if we're still here, like, um, Oliver can apply to that and we'll see if he gets in. Like, I, f I feel very much like I want to give them all these great opportunities. But you're absolutely right. Like, the reason that I haven't just been like, this is a great idea is because of the driving. But in my head, I'm thinking, I'm going to meet moms from the neighborhoods who send them here. I'm going to have a nice little carpool. I'm going to be driving once a week, my little van full of kids. Someone else is going to be, I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, I'm going to develop a little but community and not do the That's drive. totally possible. Also possible that it won't happen. No, right. right. It's very likely. It's Where am I going to meet these people? <laughs> it's also possible that you could meet a community of parents in your own community at the school in your community. Oh, I mean, I'm definitely going to do that. Like, I'm definitely going to yeah. be right. But I mean, I think part of the thing with this crazy school choice is that a lot of people do not end up at the school in their neighborhood, right? Like, people are choosing all these schools because every school has some thing. Mm -hmm. um, so they've, like, taken these neighborhood schools and they're not even, they, like, people are going from all over the city to these different schools. Find out why they chose the school by your house and get enthusiastic about that thing. <laughs> That's true. There's two different ways to think about this, I think, right? One is that there's a there's a constant battle that we fight as parents between 
between wanting the best for our kids and then making decisions as to when good enough is fine. And it's really hard to make that decision, especially about something as big as school, because there's an enormous amount of pressure on parents, I think especially moms, to to never be settling for less than the best for their kids because it's it's viewed as uh, as as some kind of harm that you're doing to those kids if you don't choose the quote unquote best. Um, I mean, the counter argument to that is that society often works the best, as you might remember from the Netherlands, when people are just a lot more satisfied with perfectly fine yeah. and don't go off hunting for the best all the time for their kids, but instead work to make the thing that's perfectly fine as good as it can possibly be. So that's one way to think of it. Um, the other way to think of it, if you want sort of a more just like, uh, you know, pros and cons, weights and measures style is that you can make a reasonable argument that a significant amount of the benefit that your kids would get from these amazing experiences gets counterbalanced by the enormous amount of time you spend in the car getting there and the stress and um, difficulty that that adds to your and their lives as a result. Yeah. Probably not all of it, but certainly it doesn't become a this universal good as a result of all this time that you're in the car. And so if you're trying to figure out, well, what's the best thing? Maybe the best thing is not subjecting them to that and you to that. And instead giving them an anchor in the place, this brand new place that they're about to live by letting them go to the school in this exact place. I 100% agree with that. And I only want to add to put yourself in the equation. You know, like you are the person who yeah. is going to have to do uh, the majority of this pickup and transport, I assume, right? Oh, yeah. Or all of yeah, it, Yeah, I mean, right? this is my, that's essentially why, although Jeff levied an opinion, it comes down to me because this is like my, you know, like I'm in charge of this aspect of how our family works. And so because it's me, because it's my time. Right. There's such a drastic difference between time spent homeschooling and, you know, time spent being a chauffeur, you know. And so yeah. even though you're not a, a school bus driver, you're still mom in the car, which means there's a podcast and a snack and an anecdote. It yeah. just... It is going to, I think, compromise your own quality of life in a way that doesn't necessarily seem worth it. This is a really... All okay. right, so we've weighed in. Great news. Okay. Once again, these decisions are legally binding. <laughs> That's it. So yeah, we'll um, see. I, I can't wait. I can't wait to hear the good news no, from Jeff. No, this is really good because it's definitely like count, like my, you know, my instinct is to like put everyone at the different schools and uh, right. and run everybody around and figure out how to make it work. So this is, this is... Good. And I have to your make a decision is to, soon. Is to so. sacrifice your own comfort yeah. for a perceived best opportunity for your children. Yeah. But part of the argument is that it's not only your own, is that you is A, as Jamila says, your situation matters and you need yeah. to be part of the equation. And B, it's not only you who suffers from those long drives and from a lack of connection. Some right? of the kids are gonna be in the car. And sometimes I'm going two times like because, you know, preschool is half day and this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. When we have to start recording the podcast at like nine o'clock local time <laughs> to accommodate <laughs> to accommodate Elizabeth's uh, school schedule, uh, I can't wait to find out which of your kids is your favorite. Yeah, <laughs> come back with a full report when this decision is made, and our and we and our listeners will eagerly anticipate knowing what happens. And I can't wait to tell you what a great decision you made or yell at you. <laughs> All right, before we get to our listener question. This week, let's talk some business. 
In Slate Plus this week, we are throwing it back to Schoolhouse Rock. We're talking about what 21st century problems you wish there were Schoolhouse Rock songs to explain. Here's a little bit of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. Oh, you know what we need is one on tipping in restaurants. Uh, like there should be one about how you just always one. should tip in restaurants. It doesn't matter. It should be like a catchy tune that goes like, start at 20, honey, and go up from there. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just like I'm just that. spitballing here, but that seems like that'd be good. To hear segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus members get benefits like zero Zippo Nada ads on any Slate podcast. They get bonus episodes of shows like Slow Burn and Dear Prudence. And you'll be supporting the work we do here on Mom and Dad are Fighting. It's only a dollar for the first month to sign up. Go to slate.com slash mom and dad plus. If you want to be notified about everything that's going on in the Slate Parenting Cinematic Universe, sign up for the Slate Parenting Newsletter. Besides getting all of Slate's great content in one place, including links to every new Mom and Dad are Fighting, Ask a Teacher, Karen Feeding, etc., etc., you'll get much, much more. It's just an email from me. It's a it's a new it's a letter from me to you right into your inbox every week telling you a story, complaining about cicadas, something new. Sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. And finally, if you are looking to connect with other parents to throw some questions out there to look for some recommendations, just to look for a little bit of moral support, join our parenting group on Facebook. Super active. It's also moderated. So the jerks get cleared out. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, let's get into our listener question this week. It's being read as always. By the fabulous Shasha Leonel. Dear mom and dad are fighting. Our one and a half year old son received some mail from his three year old cousin. I peeked in and saw sticker club and some stickers and thought, oh, neat. It wasn't until the next morning when I opened the package with him at breakfast that I realized what had been delivered. A chain letter. I thought these had died with AOL email addresses. You know the drill. Send stickers to the person listed in spot one, a friend of our niece who we don't know, then copy the letter and send to six people, and so on and so on. The letter also says, if you cannot do this in six days, please let my mom know because it is no fair to all the other kids who have participated so far. I do not want to pass on this burden to anyone else. Do we just send stickers to the first kid? Do we forge six separate letters to our niece? Can I ignore it entirely? What should we do? 
So my instinct, um, being a prisoner of boredom for the past year, is to say, just do it, because it's a thing to do. (laughs) With the asterisk that this project could very well end up on my dining table where creative projects go to die. There are so many there, from my taxes to um, a decoupage table that I'm making. But this sounds like a thing to do, right? But I understand that Elizabeth has done some... (laughs) Uh, investigative reporting into uh, the art of the chain letter that might give us some pause. So I'm saying go for it, but my answer is likely to change after we've heard Elizabeth out. Elizabeth, tell us what you've learned. So first of all, chain letters involving money are illegal. So everyone should know that if if you are asked to like send money and then you're going to get more money, right? That is that is illegal. It's literally a Ponzi scheme. It's literally scheme. a Ponzi scheme. Okay. Yes. So I had to go look up a version of this letter because I needed to know what it promised. But I basically tried to figure out how many people would have to be involved for everyone to get their... I think what I looked up said like that you're going to get 36 stickers or something like that in 10 weeks. Anyway, the point is when I did the math, in order for your child to get the stickers, which I know you don't care about, but 12 million people would have to be involved for your child to end up with the stickers. What? Yes, because it's like they say after 10 weeks, everyone's going to get 36 packs and you need to send it to six people, but you end up at the bottom of the letter. So basically, in order for everyone at your level of the scheme yes. to get all their stickers, yes. to get all that's how many people would, would have to have eventually been yes. involved. Yes. Yeah. But all you need to get your 36 stickers is just for the right 36 people to happen to get the letter and say, sure. The idea is like, will you just send it to the first person? And then Mm -hmm. you put your name at the bottom and you move it up and you're going to get 36 packs. Mm -hmm. So by the time you move from six up, okay, anyway, whatever that number is, if you then estimate a really, let's say like a, a cost of stickers, I somehow ended up with the number of like $54 million in stickers (laughs) (laughs) moving around in order for your child to get 36 stickers because there's 12 million people and they each need to send (laughs) <laughs> send six packs of stickers, okay? This is a great like um. <laughs> pro publica sponsored at like a 10 reporter okay. investigation My- in the chain letters and the results will shock you. My point is, do not get involved in this mess. First of all, this child, your child is one. <laughs> they wait. don't care. Wait, wait, wait. Second wait, of all, wait, the wait, 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 wait. The child is one. Oh, okay. The child, yes. one, the child yes. that sent the I don't the know how I didn't is three. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little young for organized crime is all I'm saying. <laughs> okay, I didn't think Okay. Oh, I got excited because it was a chain letter and I hadn't seen one since I was a kid. And so I saw the 3-year-old and I thought that this was really the parents of 3-year-olds doing this. I did not realize that there was a one and a half year old involved, which somehow is worse. I think I'm taking back my answer, even though I have, I would love to see the math on that, Alyssa. I'm, I'm dying to know. It's just that gif of the person with all the numbers flashing in front of their <laughs> we face. We had to like come <laughs> up with it out, like the computer to run a, to run the numbers. Cause... Right. It's possible that that computer is, is not, no computer sophisticated enough has been invented yet. Yeah. To run the numbers on the, yeah. on the sticker club yeah. Ponzi scheme. I think you should just do it because... This is the one chance to do one of these stupid chain letters the where, it won't, where it won't matter that it will never work and your kid won't get any stickers because your kid's only one and will never know any better. 
So just do it. Who cares? But when your kid gets older, definitely don't do it because my number one memory of these chain letters is doing this exact chain letter in the year 1981 when I was six, sending off my six packs of stickers to all the people on the top of the list and never getting a single fucking sticker in the mail from anyone. Yeah, because it's a it's a it's. But why? Like, you're yeah. not even helping your niece. Like, I think the best solution to this that it, like if she feels like she needs to to send something. And honestly, my my real problem, other than it being illegal, it's not a little. They're not sending money. Sending money. Not sending money. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I Everyone know, knows I know. what stickers mean. Yes, yeah, stickers. <laughs> send me stickers. No, but I, you know, it's like. Okay, I'll just say what really bothers me is this idea of the guilting, which is what chain letters do, right? And there are mm-hmm. obviously like the ones that go around by email, like we all, you know, delete them. Like no one is going to come kill you or whatever the chain letter says um, if you don't do the thing. I don't like that it's like, or tell, you know, tell my mom so that <laughs> so that what you can send it out like to other people. Like nobody is getting their stickers. Even if you send the sticker to the to the person the number one spot like your niece is still not getting stickers so if what you feel bad about is that you want your niece to get stickers just send your niece some stickers it is insane to me that the parents of the three-year-old was like yeah that's let's do this i would like to know more about the relationship here <laughs> the idea of being unfair to the other kids who participated is so and maybe that is just part of the language that's circulating in the letter but also who sent it to a three-year-old like how did it get there in the first place like is your niece starting the chain like is this where this particular chain begins with your niece maybe no, it started at least with, with a friend, friend beyond because her. she's in spot yeah. number one she's, she's in spot number okay I think that you should just buy your niece a pack of stickers and send it to her and say, here, this is for your sticker scheme you're doing. I, you know, we're not going to participate, but since you need, you know, if you need to send stickers out to people, here you go. So like you're helping her and her work. Do you guys not understand that chain letters like this are the only way we're going to save the U.S. Postal Service? <laughs> the very service that delivers our ballots no. every presidential just election? Send six stickers to six people. Don't require and say, pay it forward. I think I still come out on Jamila's Jamila's original side. Like, it's a 10-minute activity that at least will keep your kid occupied. So just, like, do it. Who cares? Your one-and-a-half-year-old, 10 minutes later, won't even remember it. You'll never have to talk about it again. And at (laughs) least you did something. At least you did your part for the U.S. Postal Service. When my kids get these letters, I'm going to say, you know who you can send them to? (laughs) Lyra and Harper, perfect. Lyra and Harper. Can't wait for my kids to have an activity. <laughs> they could start a sticker club, just not with money. <laughs> Though it would be very lucrative. If my kids were going to start some kind of Ponzi scheme, what would they be trying to get? Harper would definitely start like a makeup club. Like send the person on top of this list <laughs> six <makeup>. bronzers. <laughs> Lyra probably would just ask for money yeah. and get and end up getting sent to juvie. Are there a lot of juvie Ponzi schemers, do you think? <laughs> I have to assume it's mostly, I mean, the number, the prevalence of chain letters suggests to me that that's mostly what kids end up in juvie for. I think Naima would also go for makeup and perhaps TikToks if it were like, you have to do these six TikTok dances or else <laughs> you're in trouble. I think I feel so strongly about this because every Christmas, do you get those like, you know, send a sister a gift thing, da 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 da. Like, send it to the top of the. It's just a chain letter, but they want you to like send something on Amazon to someone. Like, wouldn't it be fun to get random Amazon stuff? And it's like these are Ponzi schemes. Why have you not learned this? 
I'm, Thank God I never, never get those. gotten one of those. <laughs> yeah, is that a thing? I, I'm apparently okay. If any of my friends are listening, of stop friends. sending these things to me. <laughs> it always ends with me. I never read <laughs> them. I never forward them. <laughs> send it to me. I want some presents. Okay, I will. I'll send it to you, Jamil. <laughs> But like right, forward so the end result of this is, it is that somehow it, it, I have to send a bunch of stickers to this lady's niece. Yeah. Apparently, <laughs> is how this all ended up. Congratulations, lady! Your niece is getting like twenty five stickers from me. Uh, all right, thank you for writing in. Uh, I don't know if we really solved this, or even if the math checks out. No, but I enjoyed Elizabeth's passion on the subject, unmatched perhaps in intensity <laughs> for any subject we've discussed. <laughs> on this show if you got something you want to gripe about and you want to see if it's going to be the one thing that pushes Elizabeth's <laughs> buttons send us in your rant email us at slate.com or post it to the slate parenting facebook with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. According to the CDC, approximately 700 women die each year in the United States as a result of pregnancy or delivery complications. What's worse is that there's a tremendous disparity when it comes to race and ethnicity in pregnancy-related deaths, with Black and Native American women being two to three times more likely to die from a pregnancy-related cause than white women. In certain areas, the numbers are even worse. For example, in New York, Black women are 12 times more likely to die than white women when it comes to pregnancy-related causes. There are a number of other devastating things that are happening to Black moms and their babies during what should be the most uh, celebratory, the most special time in their lives. Luckily, there are a lot of folks that are stepping up to address this, that have been addressing this for a very long time. And among them, there is the Black Mamas Matter Alliance, and they are hosting the Black Maternal Health Conference, the BMHC, April 16th and 17th during Black Maternal Health Week. The Black Maternal Health Conference is the premier assembly for Black women, health professionals, advocates, and decision makers working to improve maternal health outcomes using birth justice, reproductive justice, and human rights frameworks. We are very excited to have as a guest today, Rose Aka James, the National Membership Director of Black Mamas Matter Alliance, to talk about the conference and about these devastating disparities that exist in the world of Black maternal health. Thank you so much for being here, Rose. Thank you, Jamila. Thank you so much for having us and spotlighting us today. This is a topic that I'm I'm very passionate about. At one point, I was in training to become a doula, and I have served as a doula in a few births, moving across the country, and the pandemic have not made it uh, super easy for me to continue on that path. But one, it was something I took on because of these statistics. Um, but the more I got into it, the more that I learned about the experiences that Black mothers are having um, when trying to give birth, and the and, and since this has become a more popular topic. Um, I guess the way that I'm looking at the births of my friends, my own birth story, and, and the women around me, I'm finding more often than not, there's trouble. 
right? I'm curious to know, what's your point of entry? How did you get involved in this work? When did you become aware that when it comes to Black women and giving birth, there's trouble? Uh, is this something that you always knew of, that that, that you were clear on, or, or something that you weren't able to really articulate uh, until much more recently? I've always been interested in public health and maternal and child health, but it really wasn't until I was pregnant myself with my son. Um, I was in a my master's program for public health, and my focus at the time was HIV, so I was very immersed in that world, um, and I actually spent a lot of time in West Africa studying about maternal and child health, where, you know, we typically hear about, you know, the global south or Africa or Asia, Southeast Asia, these places where people view as poor places of the world having bad health outcomes, especially when it comes to maternal and child health. I happened to be pregnant at the same time while I was doing this work. And so um, halfway through my program, my my husband and I moved here to, to Atlanta, where we live now. When I moved to Atlanta, I started researching hospitals of where I wanted to give birth to my son. And I knew for me, I wanted to have as natural of a birth as possible. Um, I wanted to have a midwife. I knew I was very low risk. And I wanted to um, give birth in the hospital that will allow me to have freedom of movement and I wouldn't be just restricted to what the doctor just told me. And so through that research, I really learned how bad of a situation we are here in the U.S. You know, Black women here in the U.S. are being killed three to four times more than their white counterparts, Hispanic counterparts during and after childbirth, which is ridiculous if you think about the U.S. and you know how much money we spend billions of dollars on healthcare each year. Um, and we are recognized in the world as a, you know, a developed and industrialized country. But yet, you know, Black women are still facing the brunt of a system that frankly, doesn't really listen to us. It doesn't really respect our wishes and our values. And it's not really catered to support us. And so going through that experience myself and, you know, having a, a community that was supporting me and, you know, having a really great birth, it just ha had me thinking, why can't every Black woman have this birth? That's how I started working with BMMA about three years ago. So um, it's personal. And I always say the personal is political. So um, that's really my entry point into this work. You you mentioned money mm -hmm. uh, and the amount that is spent in this country on health care. Yeah. I think it's also important to mention that the mortality rates for Black mothers hold across class lines, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So this is not a matter of, you know, if the majority of Black people in this country are poor, it stands to reason that they would, you know, have less, you know, less access mm -hmm. to, say, prenatal care mm -hmm. or... Um, you know, certain other interventions that might ensure uh, a safe pregnancy, but that, you know, upper middle class, yeah, college yeah, trained, yeah. you know, Married, black women, unmarried, uh, college degree or not. We actually know that, you know, a black woman with a college degree is less off worse than a white woman with a high school degree when we look at maternal mortality data trends, um, which is to me, it's 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 very troubling. Absolutely. And it speaks to. Um, the fact that there's not just one thing that we can point to, mm -hmm. right? We can't say this is because of hypertension mm -hmm. or this is because of diet. Mm -hmm. This is because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that there are so many factors, including medical racism mm -hmm. um, throughout one's life uh, that could lead them to a, a negative outcome during pregnancy. Rose, for someone who is Black and preparing to at some point bear a child, this is, you know, incredibly stressful information to take in. I'll say... 
I had a child at 28. I read nothing. I did no preparation. You know, I just kind of want, you know, I was winging it in, in a lot of ways. And I, I realized I was incredibly fortunate, you know, because the women that I know and also, you know, it, it's been almost a decade later. So my friends that are having kids now are also having kids at a different stage of life. But what I see around me is that, you know, the, the women in my circle are, are taking a lot of care and energy to um, pay attention to what they're eating or, you know, the questions that they're asking their doctor because of this mortality crisis. Mm-hmm. So I have a twofold question. One, how can black people that are preparing to have children, uh, best prepare themselves for a happy, healthy, safe birth. Mm -hmm. Two, how do you suggest that Black birthing persons of the future, be they Black moms or otherwise, take in this information, right? Because you should not, we, we, it's not that we should look away from this crisis, but this is a lot of stressful information to take in when you're thinking about your fertility and you're thinking Mm -hmm. about what might happen to you, you know, if you're going into the hospital or if you're currently pregnant and you're listening to something like this and you're reading about these things. Yeah. We hear these statistics, Black women are three to four times more likely to die. And I think that can be very terrifying for some folks, like you're saying. And so we're BMA, we're really thinking about reframing the narrative. Black women are not showing up to birth wanting to die. It's a system that's not set up for them, which is killing them or harming them during the birth process, whether it's before, after, or during. So I think, one, taking the blame off of us and realizing that it's not our problem, that this system is not set up to protect us, and it's not doing its job to ensure that we are having safe and healthy and happy deliveries and pregnancies, and then, you know, postpartum and all these experiences across the reproductive health spectrum. I think, one, Putting that blame back, shifting that and saying, hey, it's not me, you know, yes, everybody can do things to, you know, take care of themselves and, you know, prepare their body. But at the end of the day, we're seeing it can be perfectly healthy and you could still have a negative experience or, you know, you can be a whole doctor or a whole professor um, and you can still experience maternal mortality or morbidity. So I think for us, it's really putting the onus on systems that are put in place that are not helping us and really thinking about what does systems change look like? How do we amplify the solutions within our communities? That includes Black midwives, doulas, lactation consultants, that are you know fully versed in our culture and our traditions and there to embrace us as a safety net throughout this entire process. And then your other question I like to talk about, you know, thinking about having a baby and you know, or even exploring, you know, becoming pregnant, you know, with this information. You know, I've been working with BMA for about almost three years now, and I just had a baby six months ago. And so you know, knowing the work that I'm doing, knowing these statistics and being so intimate with the details and knowing things. I remember when I was pregnant with my daughter, there was moments I was terrified, even though I had really good providers. I had a doula, a really incredible doula and a whole community and support system. I remember the day going into labor, going to the hospital, even though I know this hospital um, is incredible and I've they they respected my wishes the first time and I knew they were going to do it again this time. There was still that fear, that inherent fear of being a Black woman walking into this place. And, you know, when a moment that I am supposed to be at ease as much as ease as I can because we know labor is hard um but you know as much (laughs) ease as I can to prepare my body and my mind to bring this human being into this world 
having that additional fear or burden on there is something that my white counterparts do not think about or have to deal with. And so thinking about that additional stress that's put on us in general in society on a daily basis, and then coming into this experience of even having that. And so I think, you know, of course, inform yourself as much as you can. Asking a friend or, you know, who has had a positive experience with a provider that, you know, um, you know, that can recommend you for. Thankfully, you know, this week is also Black Fraternal Health Week. And on Saturday, we highlighted some incredible new technology that's being developed by Black women for Black maternal health, um, particularly the Earth app by Kimberly Seals Ayers, where it's basically yes. like Yelp. And so you can be like, hey, girl, I went to this provider and, you know, I didn't feel good about this experience. And then people can go in and look and see that. So I think it's really, like I said, putting the onus back on these systems that are not providing for us and taking care of us in the way that they would our white counterparts. And then also knowing that our power and our resilience is in our communities and our families. You know, we continue to, you know, know the solutions that work best for us. And so I think having a community, having a village that's supporting you in this process, and that includes your provider, your doula, your mama, your sister, your partner. We need to start having these conversations within our families, our communities about, you know, what is really going on and, you know, how we can support each other and make sure that we are our own best advocates within our community around us that we center ourselves in is also advocating for us in the process. So we are doing the work at BMMA um, and all the organizations that are part of our alliance are doing the work to, to secure a safe future for Black mamas. And today, incredibly, um, we just got news um, that President Biden signed a resolution officially recognizing Black Maternal Health Week and the work that BMA is doing and all the organizations that are part of our alliance who are really revolutionizing what it means to have community-based care for Black mamas. So speaking of the work being done, uh, how can folks be supportive, Rose? We have a whole list on our website of our partners who are around the country, um, and they do all types of um, community-based work from doula-based organizations, lactation consultants, legal, whatever it is, um, these incredible organizations are doing it. So you can connect with them by visiting our website, www.blackmamasmatter.org. And in terms of supporting BMMA directly, you know, we, we always direct folks to sign up for our newsletter by also visiting our website. Follow us on socials, you know, we live in a digital age where like, you know, everybody's wanting to seek information. And so really following us on our socials is a great way to learn about a whole bunch of things and ways that you can get involved with the work that we're doing and our partners are doing in their communities as well. So I know that registration for the conference this weekend is closed, but um, there are one, I believe there are some events that are public and two people will be able to access some of the um, some recaps and some footage from the conference uh, in the weeks to come. Right. Yes, of course. Um, you know, we'll be sharing recaps from the conference on our socials and on our website. So definitely stay tuned for that. We also have a lot of things in our resources section on our website. And if you couldn't join us this year, make sure you, you stay tuned and you join us next year for sure. Thank you so much, Rose, for all of your work and for joining us today. Thank you so much, Jamila. All right. We've come to the part of the show where we choose individual items or concepts to recommend to you, our listeners. After years of debate, I've decided to call this segment recommendations. All right, Elizabeth, what do you have for us? 
I am recommending a book, and it's not about Ponzi schemes, um, but it's called Plasticus Maritimus, an Invasive Species by Anna Pago. And Anna is a Portuguese... Uh, marine biologist and she wrote this beautiful book it's been translated into english um that is kind of a reference book about oceans and pollution and uh, one of the things i love about it is that um it's beautifully illustrated but it approaches the problem from a really like specific nature like it talks about why it is so hard to solve this pollution ocean problem and why it is so important and then it essentially invites kids like here are some ideas we've had here's why they sort of work here's why they don't work what other things can you think about and because of the illustrations it's really accessible to any of the kids to look at we also like to all read it together but i really love that it truly presents the problem as complex because i think so many children's books sort of say um like oh we just need to go do a beach cleanup and it's like yeah that's part of it but this is a larger problem and we're really going to have to address you know this beach pollution and this plastic that's in the ocean in a um more serious way in a lot of different ways. So I really enjoy that. The book is beautiful. And again, it's called Plasticus Maritimus, an Invasive Species. Good one. Jamila, what about you? So I recently had to throw away all of my cookbooks. Not that I had a ton of them, but um, they'd gotten wet and pretty messed up. And I realized I'd been carrying most of them around for years without opening them up, um, just moving them from kitchen to a kitchen, city to city, in part because when I want to find a recipe, there's Google now. I can just like look it up on the internet machine as opposed to having to go into an actual book. Um, and two, because I'm you know not really doing as much creative cooking as I like to. So uh, I ended up deciding that I would purchase a cookbook for now. And I got Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. I know this is a huge book that everybody, you know, that's really into cooking and food um, had something to say about when it first came out a couple of years ago. But I, a person who's not interested in the culinary arts, completely looked away, aside from the fact that the title of it, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, just kind of makes me hungry because it sounds like some sort of really well-seasoned meat, even though I actually don't eat red meat. Just having it for a couple of weeks, I've learned so much already just about like the science of cooking, uh, which is something that I don't think I've known a lot about. I know a little bit about baking. But anyway, if you want to be a better cook, if you want to learn how to properly salt your fish, for example, did you know that you're supposed to do that like 15 minutes before you cook it as opposed to like immediately or as you're cooking it as I've done in the past? Um, anyway, uh, you can learn a lot from this book. So Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat by Samin Nosret. Uh, it is an incredibly well illustrated and fun exploration through um, the art of cooking. Two recipes I love in that book, the conveyor belt chicken. Uh, it's an extremely simple, just a way of cooking chicken thighs, basically, that makes them crispy and juicy and great. And then her Persian-ish rice, which is um, basically a way to make tadich, but a little bit easier and a little bit less likely to fail completely as every attempt I had previously made to make that great Iranian rice dish with the crusty mm -hmm. bottom. I'd always failed before, but I always succeed with Samin's recipe. It's awesome. Very cool book. What do you have for us, Dan? I'm recommending um, a children's book series, probably best for second or third graders. Um, kids who really like uh, Captain Underpants or uh, Big Nate, the sort of genre of 
chapter books with tons of drawings to fool kids into thinking they're not really reading a chapter book. Uh, the books I'm recommending are called The Cookie Chronicles. They're by Matthew Swenson and Robbie Bear. There are many reasons I like them, but one is that they're, they have the appeal of Captain Underpants without being quite as stupid as Captain Underpants. They're, I think, a little smarter and more thoughtful while still being very enjoyable and funny. They follow a third grader named Ben Yokoyama um, and his best friend Janet and the kids in his class. And in each book in the series, he uh, finds a, a fortune and a fortune cookie and has that fortune sort of starts to take over his life as he tries to follow it. Uh, in the first one, he tries to live every day as if it were your last. In the second one, he tries to figure out if good things really come to those who wait. They're very charming, very fun. Um, uh, the authors are a married couple who uh, live somewhere near me, I think, in, uh, like out on the Eastern Shore in Maryland. And um, they're really fun, and the books are really fun. They're called The Cookie Chronicles. The first one is called Ben Yokoyama and the Cookie of Doom. The second one is Ben Yokoyama and the Cookie of Endless Waiting. I think kids would really like them. They sound perfect for Henry. I'm going to. Yeah. This, this oh, yeah, might yeah, be yeah. our good like road trip uh, book series for him. Sounds great. He's in the sweet spot for that. Yeah, I think so. All right. So that's it for our show. One last time. If you want us to weigh in on your quandaries, send us an email. Momanddad at Slate.com. You can also post it to the Slate Parenting Facebook group. Find that by just searching for Slate Parenting on Facebook. And obviously... If you haven't already subscribed, you should subscribe to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, the very podcast you just listened to. Do that wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, just mash that subscribe button. Every time someone does that, a little bell goes off in my house and Slate sends me a dollar. It helps us out. You'll never miss an episode, so it helps you out. Uh, and, oh, another thing you can do is you could rate and review the show, especially if you like us. Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson for Jamila Lemieux and Elizabeth Newcamp. I'm Dan Coyce. Thanks for listening. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.